A few weeks ago, we reached the halfway point of 2015. Just a little bit scary and a little bit fast. And, and uh, your taxes are all rolled around already. Time to do our taxes again already. But I, I love those kind of key moments and how we get the opportunity to really take stock of where we're at, where things are up to, what God's doing in our midst and in particular in our church. What's God been doing and saying? We've had a real strong focus this year on uh, Philippians 2, One Love on Display, and you see hashtag One Love on Display, uh, Philippians 2, everywhere, in all communication and things that are, it's not up there at the moment, but things that are going on around the church. Uh, In close proximity to that and working alongside of that, the leadership group really felt last November as we prayed that there were three uh, pegs or pillars that, that God was wanting us to focus on this year. I did this to you a few times ago. Does anyone remember what they are and want to have a crack at what one of them might be? No? This is where the leadership team better pipe up real quick. Trent, Trent's going real fast for his, uh, for his grapevine right now. <laughs> so we've been last, the last six months has been unity. We've been looking very closely at unity. The second one is authority. And the third one is kingdom expansion. They're the three things that we really felt like God has been uh, telling us is on his heart for this church this year. And uh, if you then go back and have a listen to some of the messages, you'll catch those themes. In particular, unity, although there's been a little bit of crossover here and there, unity for the first six months has been a real focus for us as a church. But if you've heard Kirk's messages just before he left, about three or four weeks before he left, and also David's word last week about discipleship, I think there's a clear shift that's starting to happen where God is starting to tell us to move towards the, the, the theme of authority, that he wants us to move into that area. We may dance backwards and forwards of those, um, but if you haven't heard, I think it was Kirk's last two messages before he left and David's message on discipleship last week again, I want to encourage you, as others have uh, from the front, go and get them on SoundCloud or Sound Sound SoundCloud or what's the other one in iTunes? What is it? Podcast. Go get the podcast, find it somewhere, play it, and have a listen, and, and you'll get a good idea, and you may hear start to hear that shift occur from uni to authority. Um, and go and play those. And David made a great statement last week as he talked about discipleship and that it's a way of life. It's so true. Being a disciple means to be a life learner, a permanent student. In our, in our case, that is to Jesus. I too have a really strong feeling that the Lord is calling his church. And, and, and as I've listened to messages from uh, some of you may have also from around the world or different people you like to speak to. It does seem to be a theme that is really on the Lord's heart for his people in this context, in our context, but also uh, around the world, discipleship, a real clear call to discipleship. And when I say that, I don't mean just that uh, mundane kind of discipleship. I'm, I'm talking about that kind of discipleship that just grabs you and by the scruff of the neck and it just takes you on a journey, lock, stock and barrel, you sold out for Jesus. There is no other way, no other form. You couldn't do anything else but serving for your life. It just, just grabs you. And it's a kind of discipleship, the kind of life that when you start to talk to other people about it, it almost becomes hard to even speak about it because there's just such an overwhelming sense of presence that falls upon you as you talk about your life as a disciple. I'm doing extremely well. I might get a drink of water right now. 
I actually think it's the cold. I was fine. All morning. I'll just say it's the cold anyway. <laughs> um, they, they grabs you lock stock and barrel. It almost leaves you speechless. Because as you talk about your life as a disciple, just the overwhelming sense of the faithfulness and goodness of Jesus just invades your life as you tell people, that's the kind of thing I'm sold for. I'm sold for my sons being disciples that just know the, 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 the reality of the kingdom of God in their life now. Even little Kobe right there, five years old, saying, Dad, when are we going to do the, the, the juice and bread stuff? When are you going to tell your story about the Bible? When are you doing that? You know, that, that passion to see those kind of things happen and want to see them happen. He was, he was not happy when they weren't happening this morning and then he was going out to kids when I was telling the Bible story, which is probably a good thing anyway because I'd be distracted watching him. Um, but there is one thing in all my years as a disciple that it has always been an entry point to anything that Jesus has called me into it, or had to walk through, anything that he's done. And I've almost made a conscious decision to do this as well. And that is praise and thanksgiving. I always start and always try and start anything that I walk into in discipleship with praise, thanksgiving, and I guess the extension would be worship to Jesus for who he is and what he does. You see, we were made to worship. At the core of who we are, not only were we made for relationship, but we were made to worship. That is a core part of every human being's life. Now, some people may struggle with that and say, well, that's a little egotistical, isn't it? a little, little self-serving for God to create a being that actually you know, needs to worship him um, and, or should worship him. That's a little, little self-centered, isn't it? Well, I guess that depends on your view of God and who he is and whether he is love, as the Bible says, and in his very nature, whether or not he is good. It would largely depend on how you might respond to that. I'm not going to get stuck on that one. I'm just going to pull the pin on that grenade, throw it out there to you, and just leave it and run away. So enjoy thinking about that one uh, this week. But I did have one of those aha moments a few weeks back um, around praise and thanksgiving in the life of the disciple. My wife and I, we traveled down to Melbourne uh, because my nana had passed away. And uh, I went down there as... The eldest grandson and, and my family asked me to, what I thought was just do the prayer and welcome, which was no sweat, and then 10, 15 minutes found out before it started, found out that actually means hosting the entire um, ceremony or, or service as it, as it happens. So hit the panic button and went into a whole lot of panic around what that meant and what I was meant to do. It all went really well. As a side note, it was a, it was a really good time. But... But what it may remember as Belinda and I um, talked about her life and as, as the, um, the ceremony actually occurred, my nana was a devout Christian. She loved Jesus. She really loved Jesus. And um, one thing that I will just say as a side note that I'm so excited about, I haven't been around death a lot in, in a lot of years. And what I found was I was riding this almost this roller coaster of emotion where it's up and down and sadness and joy because for my nana... She lived with the faith and hope of what was to come in her Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. She lives permanently now. She always had the love, but she's now in it. She's immensely soaked in it. But her faith and her hope in Jesus, they are fulfilled. 
They are fulfilled now that she goes, is, is with him in eternity. And as we reflected on her life, Belinda reminded me of when we went down to Melbourne and um, what you don't know about my nana is she, she suffered greatly in the last few years of her life. And, and we just cried out to Jesus for the mercy rule and just he would take her. Um, but we, she had um, a whole, whole lot of bone problems, but the main thing she struggled with in the end was dementia. And as she was doing that, though, the, there was one thing that never, ever left my nana, that never left her despite all the things that she would forget, um, her daughter's names, even though my mum would be sitting right in front of her and she would talk about her daughters, but she would talk about her daughters to my mum. I have these lovely two daughters. They're fantastic. They're named Julie and Ruth. Some of it was quite funny in the end, but, but, and we all had good laughs about that. But at the core of who, who we are, we are built to praise and worship. And, and it became evident to me as um, we went down and we took the four boys. My nana was an excellent piano player, never by music, always by hearing. And um, she just loved to worship Jesus. And no matter what decay came to her body or her mind, she never forgot how to praise and worship. You could take her to a piano. Now, some doctors would explain this away and say, you know, it's just cognitive thinking and all that kind of thing. That's fine. You can explain that. But what it does tell me, all they're explaining, all it convinces me of, is that at our core, we are made to praise and worship something. It's what we choose to do and who we choose to praise and worship and bring thanksgiving to. And sure enough, my nana, she just played away on the piano. Not only that, no matter what decay came, it could not stop her from praising and worshipping her king. My nana had a broken shoulder for 10 years of her last life. It never healed. And yet she could still get on that piano and away she'd go and she would just play the most amazing hymns that spoke so much depth of truth, and they do, that don't lose the hymns doesn't mean we have to sing them every week but don't lose lose the truth of what they say they are amazing amazing um praise worship and my nana's favorites were the ones that were praise and thanksgiving to jesus for who he was secondly to that the other thing that that the lord reminded me of in terms of my nana and pa and, and just how important praise and how central it is to life and the life of a disciple if I can watch my nana do it for her entire life. When I used to go and stay with him as a little kid, sorry, I am getting a little bit emotional, that's why my voice is teetering a bit. Um, I would go and stay with him and I would sleep in the next room to them. And as a kid, you don't realise the significance of this. But every night I would hear my grandfather and grandmother read at least a little bit of the Bible and then they would say thank you. They would always, morning and night, they would say thank you to Jesus for the day they'd had and they would thank him for their family that they had every single day. I stand here as a testimony to the fact of what the life of a disciple can do when we praise and thank Jesus for all we have because they embedded a lot of my heritage, Christian heritage, into me. We are born and we are at our core need to give praise and thanks to something for us it's jesus it was a big aha big big aha moment for me and so the lord's been talking to me a lot about praise and thanksgiving and in particular bo could you throw it up the the um the scripture this morning this is the scripture that i've been sitting in for quite quite some time with the lord and i'd like to take you on that journey with me this morning if that's all right 
Because the reason why we're doing this, again, when we talk about authority and being a disciple of Jesus, and we'll talk a little bit more soon, we have absolutely no authority unless it is with Jesus. None. And so it is right as we come into that place as disciples, exercising the authority that he's given us, that we remember him, that we thank him, that we praise him for who he is, that that authority would never go to our head, would never be about us, but all about him and who he is in and through us. Does that make sense? Everybody caught that? So the reason I felt like the Lord said to speak about this this morning is I believe with all I am that as we move into a season of authority and discipleship that we would never forget this. We would never forget to be thankful and to praise Jesus for who he is and what he's doing in our lives. Every single day, every single thing that he causes you to walk in. So Psalm 100 is where I've been camping out. Shout for the joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is good. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Oh, that is just gold. Those words are absolute gold. And there's a lot in them. And a lot that we don't have time to go in today. And again, as I always speak, I encourage you, as the word is spoken this week, go out throughout the week thinking about what's been spoken, what the Lord's saying to us, and apply it to your life, and dig deeper if you need to. There's so much in this scripture, and we just won't have time to get to it all today. All right, Psalm 100, an interesting psalm. And within, particularly in the Old Testament, but the New Testament as well, whenever we read scripture, there's always a context to what is happening. It's written in a time and a place. And sometimes there's some words in there that um, can catch us a little off guard or we may need to actually go and have a look at and find out what the meaning was. Why, why wouldn't the psalmist said those words, would he have written that? Is there something going on in his time, something going on in his context or her context that would then um, cause them to use some words? Now, I want to just give you a little, I'm almost going to give you a little Bible study thing here today because I, I don't want to assume everybody does this, but if you are... Um, wanting to dig into scripture a little more and I encourage every Christian if you're going to be a disciple this thing this is a big version of the thing of the Bible is is essential it's it's knowing reading understanding applying it's part and parcel with your relationship with Jesus got to do it the first thing a tool I'd say to use is a study Bible this is a study Bible uh, of your choice I've got an NIV study Bible it's just gives context to the to the book you're reading. You can, if you're reading one of the books, tells you a little bit about it when it was written in things. But it also below, if there's certain words that might be um, relevant to the time or culture, it'll often go into them and it'll give you a little explanation. So I encourage you to use a study Bible. If you want to dig a little deeper into the books, these two books, I don't know if you've seen them before, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth and How to Read the Book Bible Book by Book. Two really good basic books that will help you and give you context to the books you're reading, what's going on, what's the main message. So as you're reading it, what's the writer trying to get across um, to his hearers or her hearers. So there are two other books. Um, Then if you want to go even deeper still into a book that you're reading, 
there's these kind of commentaries. I found these ones really helpful. Some, you know, it's kind of up to you. But these ones in particular, these commentaries have been written just for everybody. And they're called Mark. This is a book of Mark. Mark for everyone. It just gives a, a little more in-depth uh, look at the Bible and, and particularly the book that you're reading. These I found very, very simple, but very, very helpful in terms of understanding Scripture. There, then you can dig last book. It's all right. It's not a, somebody asked me if I was setting up a book stand because, you know, preachers come along and they, they set up their book stand when they're speaking. I'm not doing that today. Um, I like these ones, the NIV application commentary. It, it, it is about, these ones go even deeper still into, into the word. Um, and then if you wanted to, you can get your Greek dictionaries and, and, and call John Bajaya when you don't understand a word and he will help you uh, to understand what that word uh, might mean. <laughs> He's very, very good Greek scholar, John, Bal- John Bajaya. So there's my little help tool today if you want to dig into scripture and, and context and things. But in Psalm 100, there's two words in here in particular for me that I've been honing in on. Uh, and, and they, or one in particular, gates and courts are two words in, in the context of that scripture that I, that I found interesting in, in that psalm. And part of the reason why I then go, well, if I'm wanting to apply that to my life, I go, well, what, is, what does the writer mean by gates and courts? What, what are they in there? What, enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. Well, where am I entering? And then if we, if we dig a little bit into that, what we'll find, obviously, is this person's writing uh, is, is Jewish, Hebrew, and is writing about Israel, and in particular, the city of Jerusalem. Now, for us, a gate, in our context, we find that a little harder. That's why we need to dig into what that actually means, because when we, write, when we hear the word gate, we often, what do you think of? Yeah, kingdom of God, okay, that's very, <laughs> very deep. What about in your daily life around society? We don't have many gates, do we? We have, sorry, Carol? A front gate, but it's a little bit smaller, isn't it? It's just usually a, a welcome, it, it, you know, it's kind of an ascetic thing almost these days. All the shows, the renovation shows, they're putting all these gates in now, aren't they, to make them look pretty? Sorry? Pool oh, pool gates, there we go. There's, there's, there. Yeah, there's, there's one. <laughs> Is that a plug? <laughs> nice job, Andrew. <laughs> and then court, court for us in, in our modern time, courts more have a, any kind of, more of a legal context, don't they? You think about going into law courts and things like that. Well, for a, an, an Israelite, that was very different because in the time that these were written, to enter the gates and the courts was a very central part of their daily life. See, the ancient cities were fortified. We, we know that. Most of them were fortified, had lots of walls around them, and obviously were then gated. And they were big gates. They weren't the kind of gates we talk about. In our context, we have our defences now are more around these amazing te- you know, electrical, te- technological, whatever words you want to use to that, where we just push a button and we can drop a missile wherever we want to in the world, practically. So it's a very different thing for us in our modern times. But for the Israelites... The gates and the courts had a very central part of their daily life. 
so much of their community life. If you actually go and type gates into a search engine, that's the other thing that's very helpful these days, an online Bible tool, uh, an online Bible you can get. And if you want to go and reference any word, you can type it in the search engine of the Bible. It'll bring it up. It'll bring all the reference points up for you. And if you type in gates, what you'll find is there's a lot of Israel's history and life goes on in and around the gates and the courts of, of praise. And you can hear... Um, some examples, it's this place of refuge, place of mercy uh, for the people. The elders are often sitting there, they're seeing who's coming in and who's going. Uh, in the book of Ruth, a very key moment happens when Boaz actually negotiates to become the kingsman redeemer uh, for Ruth. And if you know anything of the history, the lineage, that's David's, King David's lineage, and obviously that ends up being Jesus's. A very key moment in Israel's history happens at the gates of, of Jerusalem. And so uh, that becomes a very central part of community life. But most of all, to enter into the gates of Jerusalem and the temple meant to enter into the presence, the presence and the dwelling place of Almighty God. That was the importance for Israel and the gates. This is where the presence or the representative presence of God dwelt. All of Israel was a gift from God. The promised land, everything that that entailed, but it was Jerusalem that held the most significance, and it still does. That's why stuff still... I think I mentioned this quite a bit when I speak, so I'll just leave that alone. It still does have massive significance today for Israel. So much so that at very times it would be important for a good Jewish person or Israelite to go and to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And last week I, I, I spoke about at the start of worship, the Psalms of Ascent, Psalms 120 to 134. If you read them from the perspective of these people needing to go to a place to go and worship, the longing that they have to go and be in the presence. See, we take it for granted. Often we take it for granted. We have the presence. The presence is always with us wherever we go, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. But for these people and the psalmist, entering his courts, was they had to physically move towards it to go and do it, to praise and worship God. And so if you read those psalms from the perspective of needing to make a pilgrimage with the anticipation in your heart that the central identity that you know your nation and yourself has because of this great city where God's presence dwells and this magnificent, for its time, temple, where you can go and be in the presence of God, suddenly you read those psalms with a whole different light of what they actually mean and, and the kind of um, feelings that they would be rising up in the person. Bo, can you bring up the, the slide? So what I've done this morning, I've put together a little model of what it meant for, you can put up the first lot, Old Testament worship. So the people, they needed to go to a place in order to be in the presence. Can you bring, click it again for me, Bo? And what we see is there's physical gates. The people go through the gates to get to the place, and then they go through the gates to get into the presence of God. Okay, Bo, can you click it again? This is Scott 101, basic developing little thought going on here, and I'll probably develop it as time goes on. The issue with this model, and God knew it, and this is around the law as well. Is it, who does it start with? It starts with the people. The people have to make the choice to go and to actual wor actually worship. 
bring up the next one for us, Bo. So what we know, though, is that we live in a, a, a different time and in a di- different covenant and now in the understanding that Jesus has conquered death, conquered sin, has been raised from the dead, and so our model is a little bit different. Stay with me here. There is a practical application coming, and it's about how we then read and apply Psalm 100 to our context. We've got a getting a, are you getting a good handle on how it was for the writer of the Psalms and the people of ancient times with Psalm 100? I hope you are. But what does it mean for the disciples of Jesus? So how do we enter his gates with thanksgiving and praise? So now the journey starts with a person, and that person is Jesus, clearly. Jesus brings the presence to the people. And the great thing, where's the gate then? Where do you think the gate sits in this model? It's okay. You can be bold. Just yell it out. Sorry? Actually, I think there is. Where's the gate? Quickly, get in your Bible. Type gate. Go, go to John. <laughs> it, it is the heart. But you can click it, Bo. We'll put people as we It's in the person. The gate is in the person of Jesus. Who got it? Who wasn't bold enough to say, you, you, all right, you all got it? Good job. It's in the person. And this is backed up. So it's in the person, the person of Jesus brings a presence to the people and it's backed up by John 10, 7 to 10. And in John, one of the um, classical parts of the book of John, I'm giving you a few Bible lessons today, is the seven great I am statements. Jesus declares and uses the word Yahweh, which a good Jewish person would know, I am. He made a bold claim when he used those words to state who he was, the seven of them. And he says in John 10, one of the I am statements, there's one that we miss. I, probably, I think it's actually one of the least known because it's tagged alongside one of the other ones very closely. If I said I am the good shepherd, you would know exactly where we're going. But Jesus said in verse 7, therefore Jesus said again, very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Now the presence moves with the people wherever they are and whatever they are doing. Because Jesus is the gate. He's the entry point into the presence of God. Therefore, I want to suggest to you that as we enter different situations and circumstances of our life, there is an invitation as disciples, as presence carriers. You carry the presence wherever you go to start whatever those situations are by bringing thanks and praise to Jesus. Sometimes it's really clear that this is the right action to take and others take a conscious choice. They really do sometimes take a conscious choice on our behalf because whatever we're going through may have certain feelings behind the situation that may make that really hard to do and that comes back to that question, is God ultimately good? Or we just react in all our business and time pressures and we just sometimes forget to stop. And to actually go, you know what, this is a good time to invite Jesus to come into this situation and I'm going to do that by thanking him for who he is and what he's done. 
and make him the centre of all that I'm about to do. But if there's no mind, no, no doubt in my mind that if we want to talk about being disciples of Jesus who move in authority, then praise and thanksgiving is core and the starting point to this happening. Any authority we have is only because of the one who granted it to us. Any authority we exercise only comes because we carry the presence of the one who conquered sin and death. Any authority we exercise is to see his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. You getting it? It's not about you. Any authority we, have, we exercise is for the one who is worthy of all glory and honor. And even as I speak now for myself, you can, I can feel praise and thanksgiving rising. As I declare those truths of who Jesus is. My mind, and that's why you'll hear people pray, and if they start talking and praying about who God is, suddenly you'll just hear them just go whack, and they almost seem to be taking this tangent where they're going off into this thanks and prayer. It's because when they declare the glory of Jesus and who he is, you just can't help it as a worshiper and a disciple, but to start to say thank you, thank you. Psalm 100 teaches us that as we enter in the presence of God, we do so with praise and thanksgiving. Why? Plain and simple. It puts Jesus at the centre of all we do and allows him to steer the ship. Nothing earth-shattering in this statement, I get that. And yet practice can and will change our lives and it will change our world. I have absolutely no doubt about that. But all of these kind of begs the question as if, and if you were doing a Bible study around Psalm 100, you would then ask the question of, can we go back to the first one, Bo? It then begged the question, okay, for me, that's fine for those people, but for me, what does it mean to enter the gates and courts? And, and can I apply that sense of that physical movement that the people took towards the presence? Because that's what it's talking about when it talks about the gates, going to the presence of God. Are there physical things that, that I enter into, that are gates in my life, where I need to bring praise and thanksgiving to God as I do that? Some are tangible that you can touch and feel and some are more internal. But I think there are a lot of gates that we enter in on a daily basis and probably don't even realise the opportunity that we have to welcome the presence of Jesus and to let him be the centre and to guide us through all that's about to happen in our lives. But let, let me give you a few examples that might help you this morning and as we go out into this week living as disciples of Jesus. What are the gates of our life, some physical gates? Well, let's get really simple. What about the start of every day? As the sun rises, every single day it pierces the darkness. Very similar to what Jesus did when he rose from the dead. Conquered death. It's a reminder to us the light has come into the dark places of the world. What about every single day when we wake up? as just an opportunity right there to stop before we smash the alarm or throw it across the room or whatever we're doing or get, think about the dreariness of what the day may hold or if you're lucky enough to have one of those exciting jobs that you really love and can't wait to get to before we think about all the to-do list of what that means or the family and what the kids need to do and where they need to be or you know the list goes on and on doesn't it what if we just stopped right as our eyes opened and we just said Jesus Right now, I'm thankful for this day. I'm really thankful for who you are in my life because without you, I have nothing. 
And so on this day, I make the choice to welcome you into it, thanking you for all that's about to come my way and the opportunity I have to grow in you and to know you and to bring your kingdom into this world. What a great start to the day that would be. Lamentations 3, 23 says, Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. A promise from Scripture there. Cool. When I do that, when I um, do praise Jesus first thing in the morning, one thing that I've really found, and don't get me wrong, I'm not perfect in this, and boy, do I, do I remember real fast, or does the Lord remind me really quickly when I haven't done it and things start to go pear-shaped real quick. I go, yeah, I might have forgotten to welcome you into this day, didn't I? And suddenly I'm responding out of my own efforts and, and not thinking about you and what you might want me to do or why this situation's coming my way. Um, but what I find also is my mind is not easily swayed by every fleeting thought or everything that my eye uh, sees. It's more centralised on Jesus and, and him and his agenda for my day. And that does lead on to the second one. It's our mind. Our mind is a gate to welcoming the presence of Jesus and thanking him for who he is. Taking every thought captive to Jesus. What a better way to do this than to praise and thank him. What about the heart? Do you think your heart is a gate that you can welcome the presence of God into and allow Jesus to rule in? Absolutely it is. We can receive the love of God by bringing thanks and praise to him for who he is and all he does. As soon as you do it, like I said before, as soon as you start thinking about declaring who he is, and by the way, I love Corey. You actually got stuck into the fact today, I've just had a random thought, I'm just trailing here. You didn't have a random thought, this is the Holy Spirit. He started to preach exactly what it was, that the church is about the people, it's not about a place. Did you pick that up this morning? So clearly God's got an agenda. Sorry, I just remembered that. <laughs> All right. Um, what about your ears? Are they a gate? Absolutely they are. What about filling them with praise and worship? Man, none of my children are in here at the moment, so I can say this. I hope they don't listen to it. But it's praise and worship, playing praise and worship around the home. Boy, it brings a settling presence in our home. The feral children stop and... I won't say anything about my wife, all right? I'll just, I'll, I'll, she's not here to defend herself, so. No way, mate, no, not a chance. <laughs> you know that shovel? You can stop digging. No, no, it's all right, you can leave it. Leave the shovel. Um, it, it does, it brings a peace and a presence. And, even, you know, I, I just can't help but stop at times and go, that's a... That's a no-brainer. Why does it take me so long at times to actually think about doing that when, we're, when we've got circumstances and we all have them going on in our family to actually welcome the presence of Jesus, to put praise and worship, let it soak our homes. Let it soak our homes. That brings massive change and effect to our family. So yes, your ears are. What about not listening to the news? I mean, no wonder nobody's filled uh, with hope these days if you just listen to the news all day long particularly if you lived in New South Wales there's absolutely no hope whatsoever as you woke on Thursday morning (laughs) 
The only good news that came on Thursday morning was in Queensland. <laughs> Got that in there. It's good. It feels good to do that, I tell you. Not looking at anybody, Corey. <laughs> what about your eyes? Your eyes? <laughs> Apparently, yes. Um, your eyes are a gateway to welcoming Jesus. When was the last time that you stopped and looked at creation as a gift that it was to each and every one of us? When was the last time you went under the stars because our world, there's so much light and um, artificial light that we put on that we just, we find it so hard to see. The, it's hard to see the stars. If you actually get out, if you haven't done it for a long time, get out of the city, go to Bullocky's Rest, wherever it needs to be, get out of the artificial light that affects the, the ceiling that we can see and go and just look up. And you will have no choice as you do that as a disciple of Jesus to remember the gift of creation as you look at the expanse of the galaxy and you will see shooting stars because they happen so often. And you will just be reminded of how little you are, how big your God is and how worthy of praise he is. And your mind will be blown. That's just one. What about a river, a waterfall, the ocean, sunset, sunrise, the mountains... Even down to little insects running around if you just hone your eyes just down into one little spot on the ground and you can still see the wonder of creation even in that little place there. Your eyes are a gateway to allowing and praise and worship to come through. Fix your eyes on Jesus because he is the author and the perfecter of our faith. I'm scratching the surface on all these things but there's so much more in them. What about practical, the doors of this church? Gates, they're gates, they're mini gates right there. And so if you want to get a part, be a part of um, helping out, welcoming the presence of God, a little plug for the ministry to help out with there, you can come and be a welcomer on the door. Come and see me after and you can come and join our team. We purposely tell people to welcomers and ask them, pray over those doors. Pray that the presence of God would be felt by the people who walk through those doors. And so all our welcomers, you don't know it, but what they're doing is they're praying for you before you even get here. So that when you come through those doors, the love of God would just invade your life and you would know him and you would come ready to praise and worship him. What about your car door? There's another gate you might have thought about. What happens when you travel? What happens when you get caught in those uh, interesting circumstances where the traffic is horrible? How do you go in those situations? Are they an opportunity to bring praise to Jesus? Not so much, usually. But, <laughs> but uh, what about getting in your car and purposely putting on praise and worship and seeing that as an opportunity to actually meet with Jesus and welcome him into all that's going on around you? There's so many more, entering gates at work, entering meeting rooms at work, at your workplace, um, tough conversations you've got to have, even just having a coffee with a friend. What about welcoming and thanking Jesus for who he is and saying, I want to enter into this moment in your presence right now, knowing that you're king and welcome you into this circumstance to, come, to be king and that we would, you would be honoured, praised and worshipped. I can go on. And on about that. 
But there's other areas. Go away and think about it. Think about all those opportunities you have in your life to thank and to praise Jesus and to welcome him in, entering his gates, and to welcome him in. All right. I just want to finish quickly on this one point. As the city gates in the ancient times were a central point to the attack for enemies, they were. So praise and thanksgiving is a central point of attack from our enemy. Because if the enemy controls the gates, then he controls what comes in and goes out. Satan would like nothing more than to stop us bringing praise and thanks to God. And Psalm Psalm 100 points out exactly why that is. Because at its core, know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. See that verse right there? Is ex- if Satan can stop you from understanding that God is God, questioning that God is God, if he can control the gates of praise where we just, we don't want to, not going to, don't think about it, all the things that he can do, all the things he can chuck our way to actually stop us from knowing that God is God. And second to that, that we would know that he, we are his. If he can stop us from doing that, then he stops the rest of the flow that goes along with all the after that thanksgiving and praise happens. Does that make sense? We, need, we control the gates because of who Jesus is, not Satan. Do, do not let him take that ground. Protect it. Don't let him throw all distractions and and things at you to stop you from praising Jesus in every moment that you have a chance, welcoming, entering into his presence in every opportunity. So all those things that we mentioned before, take authority on them. Take authority, your heart, your eyes, your mind, your ears. Take authority on those things and welcome Jesus and his presence and thank him for who he is. I, I... Change your world and change your life. Your meetings at work, I testify to that. I testify to the goodness of Jesus that that has occurred for me as I've welcomed him in day and day. I wouldn't have the job I have unless Jesus gave it to me. So that part is not hard for me because it was a miracle, the job that I got. And so that part is not hard. But the daily walking in and saying, thank you, Jesus, for this opportunity has still continued to roll on and bring opportunity for all the things that he has wanted me to learn and grow in throughout my life. So I bring testimony to that. All right.